Hello, rebooty babies, reboot rats, totalitarians, what the fuckers, what the fuckernauts, etc. Welcome to Total Reboot, the film podcast that looks at reboots, remakes, and rip-offs of cinema. I am one of your co-hosts with the co-most. My name's Cameron James, and I'm sitting opposite a dear friend of mine mm. who goes by the name of Alexi Toliopoulos. How are you, my friend? Cameron James, might I say I've never been wetter. Holy moly. <laughs> I did just hop out of the shower three minutes before you <laughs> arrived. Well, you look great. You smell great. There's a good vibe in this room. I'm excited to talk movies There's with you, There's a lot of love in this room. Yeah. Honestly, i got to give it up to you. Yep. i got to give it up to the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I've got to give it up <laughs> to my homies and homegirls up in heaven who couldn't be here with us. Sadly, we did lose a lot of great ones in the last little while since we lost last a lot recorded. Of homies, yeah. A lot of my homeboys did pass out, and then sadly, they did not pass back in. <laughs> I'd like to pour one out for all our homeboys and homegirls that we lost. Let's do a toast to a couple of them. I want to do a toast to one of my homeboys, Eric Cartman. Unfortunately, <laughs> he did once say, screw yeah. you guys, I'm going home. Yeah. And sadly, home did mean that great big castle in the sky. I'd like to pour one out to one of my biggest homeboys, uh, Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. Mm, yeah. I mean, this guy, he just, he just, I don't even know where Jay and Silent Bob are now, but they're in a, they're flipping out somewhere, probably smoking a Jay, looking down on looking us down and just us. laughing, man. Hopefully they're proud. Just laughing. I want to say just one more. Pour one out for one of my homeboys. Going to drink a little sip, spit it on the ground. For one of my homeboys, Stewie Griffin. <laughs> Baby, I hope victory is yours wherever you are. Yeah, dude. I gotta, um, I'm going to light one big fat doob and pour <laughs> a fucking nice little swig of Hennessy on the ground for my homeboy, Deadpool. Yeah. Sadly, he's on the press tour right now, getting ready for Deadpool two. Yep. Man, I'm I have a chimichanga for you, brother. Uh, yeah, we're having a couple down here for your Aussie style. That means upside down, down we, under. We put him upside down. We put him on the Barbie. Yeah, it's and- odd, but it's awesome. <laughs> and you know what? That's how I describe this podcast. Yeah, it is odd. It is awesome. And do you know why it's so odd? Why is that? Somehow. We're the only two Fruit Loops that have gotten together to talk about movies on the internet. I mean, how is that even possible? How in the heck is it even Kim possible? There's no other podcast about movies out there. Search. I fucking dare you. Sure, there's a bunch of TV podcasts, yeah. but TV's not art. It's no. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should have been HBO's uh, tagline. It's not TV. It's shit house. <laughs> well, anyway, let's talk about some art. We're talking about Tomb Raider 2018. <laughs> so if you listened uh, last episode, at the beginning of this pairing, we talked about the fabulous 2001 film Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider. Well, we did record it two days ago. We didn't think it was, say it was that fabulous. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm being I'm being generous because I'm yes. just sort of getting a good vibe in, okay, the, sure, in sure. the ears of our listeners yeah, and, and whatnot. Or the ears of our brothers lost up in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this week, naturally, of course, we're talking about the reboot. That's what this podcast, podcast is mm-hmm. all about. Yep. I don't know what accent this is, but I having a stroke. I adore it. I adore it. <laughs> We're talking all about the reboot uh, this week. Should we dive right in? Let's get straight into it, baby. We're going to be talking about Tomb Raider 2018, directed by Raw Utag. Lara, your father's gone. You can pick up where he left off. 
I see so much of him in you. Brilliant. Hello, Sprout. If you're listening to this, then I must be dead. I found something, a tomb called the Mother of Death. If Trinity succeeds, our world is in danger. Promise me you will stop them. I promise. I think I know where my dad went. That's right in the middle of the Devil's Sea. It will be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. Lara Croft, the fiercely independent daughter of a missing adventurer, must push herself beyond her limits when she finds herself on the island where her father disappeared. Wow. So that is a little mini blurb discussing the plot of Tomb Raider, the latest film from Raw Utag, who is a European director, probably best known for an independent disaster movie he did the way, called The Wave a couple of years ago. I hadn't had the chance to see it, but I remember hearing a lot of talk about this guy kind of being the next blockbuster director to come from Europe. Sure. And I would like to begin this episode with two statements. Hit me. Statement number one, this is the best video game movie of all time. <laughs> Statement number two, Six out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, I think we're both going to be suffering from the same thing here where we will find ourselves probably praising this movie a lot mm. and it'll sound as if we think this is the best movie that we've ever seen. Mm. I do feel that way, yes. But this is not true. It's just that we've watched this in the wake of watching Lara Croft, Colin Tomb Raider and mm-hmm. Cradle of Life. Uh, and other shit movies that have come out, and other shit video game adaptations. So we're giving, we'll give this a lot more rope than it probably deserves. I think so, and I think also part of this would be, even though this is our second episode and our first pairing, we have done a few other episodes earlier to this, mm. where the remakes or reboots have not come off very favorably in the pairing of the two films. Yeah, so... And this one, I well, think, really... Can I stop for a second and yeah. just ask, are we going to say that we liked this reboot more than the original? I think I'm willing to say that this improved on many of the problems I had with the original Lara Croft Tomb Raider films. I'm so such glad. Such as Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider and Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider dash <laughs> the Cradle of Life. And while I did say that cradle did rock, <laughs> I think this is a much more rockier vessel for a baby to hang out in. I mean, you said uh, the Cradle of Life was a cradle that rocked, whereas I thought it was stillborn. Oh, baby. (laughs) Oh, no, Cameron. I actually haven't watched it. You haven't seen it? I think you actually absolutely adore the film. I'm sure I think it would be a real piece of trash. Let's talk about Tomb Raider 2018. The thing I'd like to kick off with is by saying there's a little something missing from the title this Mm. time around. That's the name Lara Croft. Let's talk about Lara. What's different between her now versus then? Okay. First difference, different actor. Different actor, but I think similarly cast, uh, Alicia Vikander, of course, is an Academy Award-winning actress. She won for Best Supporting Actress for the film The Danish Girl, I believe, a couple of years ago. And similarly, Angelina Jolie, before entering the boots and tank top <laughs> and shorts of Lara Croft herself had won for a movie for the same award that also had girl in the title. Girl. Colma. 
Interrupted. interrupted. Uh, hey, I was going to say, uh, yeah, <laughs> was that funny? That's funny. Was stuff. that a funny little way to talk about a movie? Actually, can I be honest with you? I think that was really funny. <laughs> Thanks, man. I think that was. I, I I'm so proud of it. Let's assess it a little deeper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this is the funniest thing. That I've ever heard you say. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I I love talking about cinema. I love yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love to have fun like, while I do it. you love movies. Yeah. I know that about you. You yeah, love yeah. cinema. I've got a tattoo of a lot of movies on me. You have, but you also have the drama mask tattoos. Yeah. And one side, sure, is dramatic. But yeah. the other side, that's comedy, baby. And I love to interweave the two. One of my favorite <laughs> things to do is just make those little masks talk together and see what that kind of and dynamic that's would be like. Funny stuff. It. I mean, half of it is funny. The other half of it, it's got some heft to it. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. What I think immediately, what I want to say about this character is it's totally different. This it's actually a, is a character. It almost feels like. If this wasn't Tomb Raider, it just could have been any other cool action mm. movie, like a, a gender-swapped Indiana Jones, essentially. I mean, it's she's unrecognisable from the character Angelina Jolie played, mm. apart from the name. Um, I, here's what I love about her straight away. Okay, so let's let's compare the openings to both movies. Yeah. In uh, in colon Tomb Raider, Lara Croft is introduced fighting a robot, mm-hmm. kicking the robot's ass. She doesn't break a fucking sweat. She's perfect. She's cool. She plugs a USB into the robot, and it's a freaking iPod dock. We're having a great techno dance she- battle now. This movie starts uh, when we meet Lara. She's in the ring. She's in an MMA ring. She's getting knocked out. Because this ain't your granddaddy's Lara Croft. This chick is octagon ready. I think, honestly, the introduction of Lara in this film, re- it challenged my expectations of the movie. So it kind of put me like going very in, on a, in a state of intrigue straight I, away. I immediately knew I was going to like it because um, it became very clear to me within minutes that Lara Croft was going to lose this fight. Mm. And immediately... You're on her side because mm. she's the underdog and you know that she started from a very low place at the beginning of this film. She has to tap out before she passes out in an MMA fight. Mm. So we go, okay, we're going to actually see her grow during this film. She's mm. going to become a great adventurer, a great fighter, so that by the end when she undoubtedly will have a fight sequence in the third act and wins, it's going to feel like a victory. Mm. Whereas when we see Angelina Jolie destroy a robot that's been programmed to kill her in 30 seconds. I'm like, I don't give a fuck watching her fight mm. normal people now because, of course, she's going to win. She's, yeah. she's a superhero. I think this really sinks into, I think, the key defining trait between these two films is that this film has something the other one doesn't. It has humility. Yes. This is like quite yes. a humble action film. And uh, a lot of that comes down to Alicia Vikander's performance. She is so human. Mm. Uh, that that was one of my big criticisms last episode was that there was nothing real about Lara Croft. This character feels like a real person. She's not only sweaty and hurt and embarrassed, she's funny. She's she, having a laugh. She has good uh, chemistry with all her friends. Like she she makes jokes. She's a bit flirty. She's embarrassed. And we're introduced to her on a, rea- a relatable level. We yeah. see her as basically an Uber Eats she courier. She delivers Uber Eats. <laughs> She's a freaking Foodora Deliveroo rider. I mean, 
Angelina Jolie would not be caught dead delivering food to someone's door. Angelina Jolie doesn't eat in the Tomb Raider film. She makes a linguine that blows up and then doesn't eat it. That's the closest we come. <laughs> Whereas Alicia Vikander's Lara Croft is, she has to put on the embarrassing helmet. Mm-hmm. She drives a shitty bike. She's got to have. She's that- got that stupid square backpack. <laughs> that, that cubular that cube backpack, backpack that can hold a whole roast turkey in it. She's or something. so embarrassed, and the mm. reason for this is because she has denounced her family's um, like. Money. Yeah, her father has gone missing. He's not confirmed dead. He has been missing for seven years. If and la. she refuses to sign uh, for his last will and testament to inherit all his his wealth and fortune and take control over his companies and stuff or give control over to her auntie or yeah. whoever uh, Kristen Scott Thomas is playing because uh, she doesn't want to really believe that her father is dead. But isn't it already... I mean, that we all find all this out within about three minutes of screen time. Already, this is a more likable character. Mm. I mean, she's scrappy. She's an underdog, and she's refused wealth. That is the complete. Like when you see that, you go, "How did they ever think that people would connect to Lara Croft yeah. in the original when she's just this billionaire?" lofty motherfucker. Yeah, and I think to see her uh, her challenges rather than mm. fighting some robot that she can defeat is she's having fun playing with her friends. She's having that boxing fight that she loses. Mm. She talks to her friends about the boxing fight. Then we see her in her job at, at this kind of like uh, food delivery startup app. And then part of her fun thing that they do together, they have a fox hunt mm. where she wears a little foxtail on her bike and they burst a little neon green paint can they have to chase her around the streets of London. That's the first action sequence of the movie really, not including the the fight at the start. And this is one of those tropes of action movies that I think we've seen in the last 10 years or so that I love, mm. which is where you get a full-on high-intensity chase scene that has nothing to do with the plot. That's for fun. It's just for fun. It's just to show us, I guess, the skills of the main hero mm. and their cunning. They often always lose this chase mm. or fight because of their of humility reasons or, or they something get too cocky stops it. or something stops them. But I love it every time. I love watching a chase um, that I know has nothing to do with the plot. This movie has two of them. There's mm. that on the bike, which is cool. Cool chase scene. Actually makes London look like a cool... Chase I think it's a really interesting too. take on London for an action film that kind of doesn't have to be set there for very yeah. long. We're kind of seeing the types of like Brick Lane area yeah. uh, amongst like kind of uh, m- almost starting to be gentrified uh, yeah. migrant communities. We see her working at like a Pakistani restaurant at one point, yes. taking delivery. And then she has like a flirtation with just like one of the cute guys that works I there. I actually thought that was going to pay off later in the movie. I was a bit bummed out it didn't because that was that was very adorable. Yeah, that was just like a, such a cute moment. And all it was like, this is just a cute moment to yeah. show that she's a real person. She's real. That's life, you know. Um, yeah, London in this movie kind of reminds me of... it's you, Gentrified is exactly the word. You never see London look cool in these kind of movies. Mm. The Mummy made London look so shit and boring. That Fast and Furious movie that's set in London also similarly looked bad. Mm. This, seeing a bike chase through tiny alleys, going through cafes in this kind of area that's clearly like was once 
maybe like a migrant kind of area, but has now got like mm. a startup in it and yeah. cool trendy cafes and shit everywhere and artworks in the middle of the street. It looks awesome. It's kind of cool. It's like basically for a couple of minutes, it's uh, an action movie set in my beautiful laundrette. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, that's a really interesting take that they're going for that just took me completely yeah. by surprise. And this is about six minutes into the movie. The second big uh, kind of like action set piece that is completely you know separate for the plot is when she's on her way to the adventure mm. and, uh, you know, it's like, she gets her bag stolen by a bunch of um, Chinese kids and she chases them on foot, jumping over boats and stuff like that at the docks. And again, it's one of those things that I just, I love watching it. As soon as those three boys approach her on the docks, you know, feigning, offering her help, I know as someone who watches a lot of action movies, Mm. these boys do not mean good. They are not Good boys. And I love I love watching chase scenes on foot. I think it's been like maybe a bit done to death since that Bond movie. That yeah, since parkour. Casino Royale with a yeah. lot of parkour. But it still looks cool watching people have to think on their feet and jump over mm. things and avoid falling off buildings and stuff. Man, I was into it. I was glad that I got two little treats before we were even mm. into the adventure. I think that's what this kind of movie does really well is that it's not pushing the envelope in any way it's not breaking any new ground it's not doing anything new but what it's doing is just making a very satisfying viewing experience and Mm. i think that is the kind of movie that is slipping through the cracks a little bit at the moment you've got kind of turd movies like the mummy that we'll get to eventually (laughs) on this podcast and you've got great movies like black panther and the star wars films in these kind of like big block Buster formats and then there's these little films like this that kind of just sit in the middle and just kind of get a bit forgotten by time but there's stuff to appreciate in these films about what they're doing to just connect to an audience a big mainstream audience on a really base level by mm. kind of talking this generic shorthand to be able to relate to them I um, I have a favourite and least favourite moment mm-hmm. from this movie I might save the least favourite for later because I think you might be be able to guess what it is. Mm -hmm. But my favourite is Lara Croft related. And I want to know what you think about this. Um, You know the bit in the movie where she's just had that great action scene on the um, crashed plane on the waterfall? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, I think it's my favorite sequence in the movie. The crash plane? Yeah. Okay. And I'll talk about it a bit later too. But, you know, when she uh, parachutes off and she's, she's like screaming and she's hanging on by a thread to this fucking parachute and Mm. she crash lands in the forest and she's been stuck all through her body Mm. with sticks and stuff like that. Seeing her hit the ground and scream in pain and then pull shards of wood out of her Mm. skin while she's crying and her eyes are all bloodshot and stuff. I mean, that immediately is... That sums up who this Lara Croft is. Mm. She's like a real person who will get hurt and will not look cool mm. while she's doing it. No. And I think the fact that she's like, she doesn't look dope. And know? she doesn't look dope while she's doing it. And she might not even get the guy. She won't get the guy. But yeah, Angelina Jolie would never, they never would have played that character. It's not all on Angie. It's no. on Simon West as well. It's on the producers. It's on freaking everyone. Don't blame Angie. But they never would have played her showing any pain mm. at all. But to see Lara Croft like, Nearly passing out from the pain of pulling something, like a wound, Mm. 
dealing with a wound is awesome. This is a cool, immediately so different and so mm. cool. I think what you're coming to now is something uh, that I think is interesting to talk about as far as placing this historically in compared to the 2001 Tomb Raider. We talked about how Tomb Raider uh, starring Angelina Jolie mm-hmm. as Lara Croft colon, the Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. uh, was kind of <laughs> one of those turds that was shat out along with the Matrix yeah. trying to live up to it. It it smelled like it. It had sunnies, leather, techno music, and it just, just it doesn't really... By the way, my three favourite things. Yeah. <laughs> turds and sunnies and techno. <laughs> and so that was kind of like where it, it just kind of feels like a, a, a pale comparison of something mm. like that. I think this lands in a type of blockbuster film that we have seen a lot of definitely in the over the last 10, 12 years. This is kind of... Tomb Raider Begins, the Batman Begins version totally. of Tomb Raider, where it's exactly a lot it grittier, mm-hmm. a lot more down to earth, and there does feel to be human stakes in the series as well, especially when it comes to the character. We see Christian Bale get beat up a lot in that movie, where we're mm. like, this is a real bloke. This mm. is a real bloke getting mucked up by villains such as Mr. Joker and... Uh, Mr. Scarecrow. Mr. Scarecrow and also Banos and like a lot of <laughs> cool guys. The Bean Man and all those guys. Yeah. And they're, they're having it out for him. Toofus. Toofus, um, Mr. Mr. Leonisa and all of those guys just really, they got it out for him. Yeah, true. I want to say too. Uh, that's not to say that this is in the same mold as Batman Begins. No, it's but it is an origin film. It's an origin film. It is grittier than the one that we watched last episode, but it's very fun and mm. it's very light. Yeah, and even aesthetically, I mean, visually, it is like a a light and beautiful looking film. Yeah, it's not. When you say, I think maybe beautiful is the wrong word, but it is aesthetically pleasing, rather. Sure. I don't think there was any sequence that blew me away visually at all. But I think that's just to do with, to me, that's why I... Part of the charm of the movie for me is just yeah. I found this to be an incredibly humble film. Yeah. I think maybe what coloured it going in was immediately before the film started in the cinema, there was a Volvo ad that showed <laughs> Lara Croft driving a Volvo, yeah, yeah. which happens in the towards the end of the movie after she becomes a millionaire again and inherits her father's money. Oh. It's just like that. Which, this- by the way. He is naturally led to my least favourite part of the movie. So this movie just has Volvo as the sponsor. That's so humble. <laughs> yeah, it's still an ad at the end of the day. It's still an action mm. uh, movie video game adaptation. I will, I'm just going to have to say it because yeah. you've led me there. My least favourite part of the movie, and I wonder if you could have predicted this from mm. what you know about me, is at the very end when she revisits Nick Frost's um, porn, porn shop. shop and she's dressed in the leather jacket, and her hair's in that famous Lara Croft. She's braid. a bit more Angie than she was before. She and uh, she buys, she picks up a gun that looks a little familiar to us, mm-hmm. and then she picks up a second identical one and says, "I'll take two. Um, I hate that. 
I think it is weird that it was before the credits started. I just hate seeing... I don't care. I don't want to see her become that Lara Croft. Yeah, we're so, oh, I don't know. I, I, I could actually, not care Honestly, it kind of worked Lara on me Croft. because I did like the Nick Frost scenes from earlier. The Nick so Frost... The porn shop. I mean, Nick Frost was, is great. He was really funny in them and I thought that was part of what made the London street life yeah. kind of world so charming. Very authentic. Maybe not authentic, but a fun... Dude, I've been to London. Of, okay, a stuff. fun, resonant world. And I, 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 I actually thought it was a fun way to make a little fan service thing usually i don't know it hated worked it. for me i fucking hated I can't, it i can't my skin it. crawled and yeah. also the idea of her now just like inheriting her dad's money becoming a millionaire mm. and also being badass and stuff it's like i don't want to see that sequel mm. i don't care i liked seeing this delivery driver save the universe i think that's mm. the thing is that i like this movie quite a lot but I'm going to find it difficult seeing what a sequel can do because unlike those other two Tomb Raider films, the personal stakes are so interwoven into the plot of this film Yeah, in a way that I thought was very, very successful. And I can't imagine this Lara Croft kind of wanting to go on an adventure just for fun now. Uh, exactly. I don't... Um, And I also don't care about that. I don't want to see her go... Well, I'm going to have to save the world again. I'm like, no, thank you. It has to be personal for me. Mm. That's why it worked so well. Should we talk about the personal element of this? I mean, her father's played by Dominic West. Yeah. Jimmy McNulty himself from The Wire. Mm. In what I think is the best decision they could have made for this franchise. In the original, you know, Father Croft, John Mm. Voight, was dead. Yeah. And she only interacted with him through memories, memories and then I think through that time some storm. magic or something <laughs> yeah, some magic yeah supernatural this um, it's great that he's missing but presumed dead and then we get to actually be spoiler with him. alert spoiler Spo- alert fucking who, who cares spoiler whatever this movie came out last it's, week it's and it's based a- on a 2013 video game <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we do make it to an island where he is presumed dead and we do find him and he's kind of gone crazy he's a wild man like he's, an Alan um, Parrish type he's if very you will. Alan Parrish he's, he's <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he even looks like Alan Parrish he does look like Alan Parrish yeah. he's like oh you must be uh, usually you're the one that leaves at the end of these conversations. Ooh, ooh, Mr. Happy. <laughs> oh, we grossly said be afraid. <laughs> if he said Mr. Happy to his own daughter. Um, well, they do have some weird chemistry. Uh, they have an odd chemistry, but I kind of I kind of dug it. Yeah, I think this is something that happens whenever a Hollywood movie casts a beautiful woman to be the daughter of an extremely attractive man. And also the two actors not- can't help but be attractive. <laughs> and there's like not a humongous age gap. It must them. be 15 years. It yeah. can't be that much it can't of a gap. Be that bad. <laughs> when I heard that Dominic West was being her dad in this, I assumed that the character was dead and that we were only going to see him mm. in like video footage or yeah. memories or something. And then to find out that he's still alive, I was like, what a crazy choice. He's yeah. not that much older than her. That reminds me of one thing that this movie did maybe better than any movie in history that mm. I would say. The, the kind of new growth that it broke is photographs in movies always... Oh, they're the worst. They look so shitty and photoshopped when they have to put two actors together. This one did a really good job because they were like just selfies and kind of fun little photos. Yeah. Like these are the photos people actually do have and the photos people actually do cherish because that's always just one of those things that always sticks out to me. That is and a in this very film, astute observation. I was just like, this works. This is like, these people are... That's a part of the humility of this film. It's like, yeah. yeah, we're real people just making a movie for everyone to watch. Yeah, you know man, what I that's, mean? A, that's a great observation. That's one thing I always 
notice whenever I'm watching a film too, and it kind of takes me out of mm. it. Yeah, you're right. Even the the beginning montage of this movie when they're kind of the camera's kind of panning over um, Father Croft's notes from mm. previous missions and shit like that. We see a bunch of these selfies, and they're just like pulling stupid faces in them. Like Dominic fun. West is like doing goofy smiles and stuff like that. And um, then even when we meet Daniel Wu's character, who is kind of Lara Croft's sidekick and yeah. companion uh, through the rest of her adventure, the photo that we see of him and his father is just like them on a picnic, and it just seems like an actual photo from mm. someone's childhood. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk about the other actors in this film now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mentioned um, Dominic West a bit, and he was he's very good. I really like him a lot. He's incredible. Daniel Wu's someone I did not know at all. Mm. Are you familiar with his work? Not really. No. How good is he? I thought he was really funny. Yeah. And I like the two of them together. And also, really good action star. Like, I mean, the guy's hot. Oh, undoubtedly. What the fuck? He, apparently, he's a huge star in China. I don't know too much about him. Uh, yeah, to my knowledge, I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but I think he... he uh, hopefully, a star is born. <laughs> I think he already is a star, but he, in- he should be a bigger star. Yeah, I, I that's the kind of... The I know he was in thing. Geostorm from last year. Oh, oh gosh, Geostorm. Starring your favourite, Gerard Butler. Gerard from Butler from Lara, Lara Croft, Croft colon, to Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider dash, dash, Cradle, of Life. Cradle of Life. And honestly, the cradle rocks. <laughs> uh, but I, I think one of the cool things about uh, becoming a global film society where we're having mm-hmm. like these big co-productions between Europe, America and Asia now is that we are introduced to all these other big stars. Like yeah. I think a movie we talked about on our old podcast, The Blank Slate, mm. uh, about Triple X 3, The Return of Xander Cage, having such a humongous oh, yeah. international cast was meeting characters like that. Yeah, we had... Uh, Donnie Yen, of course, Donnie is in Yen, Topeka. There's so many that were in that. Ruby Rose, of course. Yeah. Great uh, international star. Yeah, she's one of my favourite Instagram personalities. Oh, this was a great uh, introduction to me to Daniel Wu. He, he has this sort of Chris Pratt-like uh, charm, mm. where he's obviously a hunk. He obviously can pull off action very well, but he, he does have comedy chops. I mean, yeah. he's essentially the funny sidekick in this movie. Yeah. But he just happens to be a babe. Yeah, I, I I think he was a great character in this film, and it just it, it worked for me. I'm so this is crazy how much we are praising this film because it's just again keep it in mind that we're talking about a video game. But I think it is just because having sat through the kind of really obvious mistakes that that last film made, and mm. this is a reboot that actually kind of acknowledges that their existence but fixes them in a way in, uh, that just adds personality, humility and stakes to it is really good. And I think Walton Goggins as the villain yes I think is something that directly ties into that as well. Of course. We didn't even man. we didn't spend a second talking about Ian Glenn the last one who is also a great actor. Yeah. Um but Walton Goggins is Do You I know th- what uh, here's the difference because we're talking about differences, right? Ian Glenn, we know he's a great actor. But those that character is a, a shadow. Like there's no, not even a sketch. It's He's just, working on behalf of the Illuminati and who to cares, do their blah, bidding. Blah blah blah. The character has no personality. Whereas I don't know if it's just because Walton Goggins brings a lot to the table every time he's on screen. 
But this is a real person. That this is a real person because you can actually see why they want to achieve their goal. Mm. That is in direct opposition to that of our heroes. Uh, in a way that doesn't make him evil. No, it's he's not, not just, evil. He's not going for world domination. He's not trying to get an ultimate power. He has been also trapped on this island for seven years, just like Lara's father. Mm. And now he... He's got photos of his kids on his desk as well. That mm-hmm. are good photos. Mm-hmm. They don't look weird. Mm-hmm. And he, his goal is to get back to his kids. He's been stuck in this shithole where there's no real life. And he, the only way he can get back is if he can kind of... If he can exhume the tomb of uh, Hikamo. Is yeah. it Himiko? Himito. Himiko, I think it is. Himiko. Who is... Uh, we are introduced as this kind of demonic... Uh, Japanese princess from a feudal Japan era who uh, had the power to bring death, like yeah. a deathly plague to she people. She was essentially like the god of death. Um, yeah. And she was banished to this island where she was entombed. It's kind of like a mummy situation. And they're trying to kind of... That I guess they want to make like a bioweapon uh, or discover her tomb. And Lara's father believes that this is a supernatural curse that will uh, scourge the earth if mm. we are to unlock this tomb. And I think the theme of this film kind of being uh, that mythology is based in fact, mm. which is said a couple of times by Lara's father, yeah. is I think a a great theme to a film like this, a modern Indiana Jones riff where uh, Indiana Jones is kind of like mythology can kind of, can exist it's today. Like, yeah, Supernatural the, can exist so today. That's so true. Yeah. The, the Indiana Jones uh, ethos is it's all true. Every myth is real. Yeah. It's true. It's true. All of it. All of it. Whereas this one is like, yeah, supernatural stuff isn't real, but it does come from, there is some grounding in reality, mm. which I guess you can apply that exact ethos to the character of Lara Croft. Yeah. That she's someone who, you know, you know, it actually is has a much more humble beginning that, and then becomes a hero mm. or becomes a mythological yeah. figure at the end. I just think it's handled really well mm. in this film to have like an actual theme mm. about the journey and adventure that w- what we're going after. And I think there's a great, I re- a scene I really, really loved where they do eventually get into the tomb. They op- they've raided the tomb. <laughs> They're opening up the, the sarcophagus or whatever it is. And we see kind of like this mummified corpse of uh, Himiko. And it looks like it looks like it's about to come to life because mm. it looks that kind of, it's got a very, um, it's got a humanness about it still, mm. but in a way that is uncanny. Maybe it was done in CG, which I found successful because the mm-hmm. uncanniness works in a way that just happens for this. Yeah. And then we are poised as an audience to expect that this mummy will come to life. We're going to see the eyes open. Yeah, That's totally. it's really set up to that. And then immediately it just kind of bursts Almost like almost like a combustion, but instead it's just the skin begins to rot now. It that's just rots. Being ha- exposed to the air. And we learn that uh, she is not like the possessor of this plague. It's kind of like she has like a disease. She was the carrier uh, kind of... Of essentially the bubonic plague. Of a bubonic plague, a contagion that is like uh, a bit of a zombify, a zombie virus type thing. And she, uh, she banished herself to the island mm. in order to spare humanity. That's another theme that comes across yeah. uh, a lot in the movie, which is that 
you know, allowing yourself to fall or fail so that other people can succeed. Comes up a lot in the movie. It's great. I love it as the uh, device for this film. Mm. I was so glad it wasn't a supernatural element that they mm. were fighting at the end. It was just a uh, rotting body and some gross disease. Mm. Um, I think we still have to talk a little more about Walton Goggins. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I can say other than just to really suck his dick um, <laughs> so over Mr. audio. Mr. Goggins, if you are available, there is a young man yes. who has a little business to, <laughs> to take up Please with you. Please present thyself. Yeah. <laughs> he, his presence on screen in everything I've seen him in, from Justified to Vice Principles... To The Shield. To The Shield is so unique. It's He's a snake oil merchant. He's mm. just slimy, but... There's something about him where he can be... He's quite scary in this movie. He's quite intense. But he can also just be so vulnerable in a turn. Mm. And and also, he's fucking funny as well. I don't know how he does it. I think he's one of the great actors oh, of our generation. He's definitely one of the great character actors of this generation. Yeah. That we're living in right now. And now I, Walton Goggins is the ultimate millennial. He's a total millennial. Him and, and Hugh Grant. And he's <laughs> two great millennials. He just has the perfect name for his face. Goggins? Yeah. The guy's got a definitely a Goggins face. He's definitely you know what got I mean? Goggins. And Walton, of course. Yeah. He uh he's so good as a villain in this. I love that monologue he gets when he first meets uh, I keep going to call it Angelina Jolie. Mm. Lara Croft. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps going when he meets Lara Croft and it's kinda like this um Colonel Kurtz. Mm. scene where he's clearly been on the island too long. He's gone a bit crazy. He keeps saying threatening things. He implies that he murdered her dad. Mm. But then he keeps apologizing for the blunt and cruel things that he's saying. And it's so Walton Goggins in a way. uh, It throws you off. It's like this southern charm combined with this like gothic villain where he's like, I killed your dad. And then he immediately catches himself and goes... I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm not normally this blunt. It's yeah. been some time since I've spoken to somebody. And you're like, okay, did he do it or not? Is mm. he a crazy person? It's really well played and really well written. I think it's uh, infinitely more exciting than any villainous activity we saw happen in oh, Tomb Raider. Yeah. Un- un- unbelievably so. To my, like, I think this is just a, as far as kind of an action adventure film goes... It is the success of the villain and the success of our heroine uh, having those personal stakes that just kind of elevate the material. Mm. It's an it's an elevation, elevation is what I'm going for. <laughs> um, also, can I say one thing about the action sequences in this movie is that uh, I think where Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider goes wrong is that every action set piece places Lara Croft as the one in charge. Mm. She's, like, got those bungee cords on. She's bouncing around her house, shooting everybody. Um, In this, almost every action set piece is that she is the victim who needs to survive this attack or moment. Like, the the bit I mentioned before, I kind of teased at how much I loved it, is that she falls into a river... And the rapids take her to the edge of a waterfall, which she falls off, but lands on the rusted out shell of a downed plane. Mm. And it is so tense and so incredible to watch because it's just, I hope this girl survives. Mm. It's not, 
anything cool. She doesn't do cool stunts off it. She doesn't, like, jump up it and use it as a ramp to do a cool dive back off mm. the waterfall. It's just... About six minutes of her surviving. I think um, you're giving that that sequence a little bit too much. I praise, don't think I so. I think it's the best action sequence I've seen in a while for like that type of thing. Yeah, I, I there's one action sequence that I was far more impressed by. Probably not too far after this. It is the first time Lara Croft must take a life. Oh yeah, and I thought yeah. that it's a struggle that kind of repeats the kind of submission, uh, grappling tackles of the octagon that she's fighting in at the start mm, of the episode. Totally, where she is fighting a, a a henchman in like ultimate midnight darkness, and he is able to grab her from behind and is kind of keeping her in much of the similar headlock position that she was in before that we know that she has difficulty getting out of and she she mm. gave up when it wasn't her life on the line but this time her life is on the line and she must keep fighting to the point that she eventually drowns him in the puddle and it, in a puddle of rain yeah a puddle of mud if you will my favorite man and then we sit in this moment of guilt and kind of fear and horror and regret of survival, what she has had to become from being a humble Fudora delivery (laughs) courier to now being someone who has taken a life. And I think that was such a cool thing for your basic run-of-the-mill action film to get to. And I think while this is still your basic run-of-the-mill action film, this shows the potential that it had to go beyond that and becoming something a little bit more special and something a little bit more resonant. I thought that was a really important moment too. Seeing that it actually hurts her to do this is mm. great. But then she starts killing after that. Which but is- can I say the the bit where she does start killing after that, where she's got a bow and arrow mm. and she's kind of like stalking her way silently through the camp, trying to avoid being seen by people, is the... Uh, the first time that I remembered I was watching a video game yeah. movie because it felt like, I mean, it's been a while since I played a video game, but it felt like how you feel when you're playing, when I was playing like Metal Gear Solid yeah. as an early teenager and trying to like sneak into bases and camps without mm. any of those dumb henchmen seeing you. I think it was a successful version of something like that to kind of give you that feeling of playing a video game. And then there's a few sequences like that. Your beloved plane sequence, I feel, is mm-hmm. very much a video game where you're kind of walking through a kind of pre-written cinematic rather than yeah. your own your own choices. While you do have to survive it, you have to, you know, a quick time sequence, I believe they're called. Uh, but this is real stalkery and I think video game movies really try to tap into what makes them feel like a video game a lot my example of this being unsuccessful in the past is something like Doom Mm. where there is an extended like five minute first person shooter sequence Mm. where we're just hopping into rooms and shooting them I think this captures something about what this new generation of Tomb Raider games is trying to do and it worked for me I think it was genuinely something that did feel like a video game, but not in a shitty way. Yeah, same. And and like I said, it was the first time I kind of remembered that's what I was watching. Mm. Because again, I don't really know much about Tomb Raider. All I know is that stupid movie uh, that we watched last episode. So this, I honestly felt like I wasn't watching a Tomb Raider movie. Mm. It's just every now and then someone would call her Lara and I'd go, oh yeah. Like it just felt like it it was more in spirit with Indiana Jones than it was with Bond Mm. for me. Mm. And that was cool. Yeah, for the best, for the best. Now, um, are we gearing up towards the end of this? We are indeed. Okay, let me drop a 
hot bit of knowledge on you now. This is something you are absolutely going to go gaga for. Mm, okay. <laughs> and you can that can either be in a good way or a bad way. Uh, one of the main producers on this film, Adrian Ascarier, revealed in an interview that he is developing a film univo- mm-hmm. universe. Yeah. <laughs> I did read about this. <laughs> With Tomb Raider, Just Cause, Hitman, Deus Ex, and Thief. How do you feel about an extended cinematic universe based in these video based game adaptations? Based in Games video, <laughs> video game How universe. How do you feel about this? I think it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> How can these things all tie together? Like, sure, Hitman and Lara Croft, they can kind of maybe see living in the same universe. Hitman has, like, cloning and shit in it, oh. as far as I remember. I, play, I, I really loved those Hitman games. I played a lot of them. Mm. I've not seen either of the Hitman films, which are a reboot, which are reboots. Isn't Timothy Oliphant in one of them? He's in the original Hitman movie, and yeah. then there's Hitman Agent 47, or Agent 47 Hitman, oh, which is God, a reboot is making me snooze already. Well, allow me to expunge on the history of Agent Please 47. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, and then Just Cause is a fun video game, but I can't imagine making a movie about it because it's just kind of like it's triple X. Yeah, it's triple right. X three Return of Sandy Cage. It already exists. I guarantee that that will never exist. This film I universe. Can, I, I think it'll go the way of one of our other favorite uh, film universes, <laughs> the Dark Universe, which perhaps. we'll probably talk about in a future. Very episode. very soon, I'm sure. And I think that that's so stupid. I think focus on this one mm. property, Tomb Raider. This first film is good. It's the first time there's been a good video game movie, mm, like mm. one that's just like I think just enjoyable. I think a lot of people are shitting on this movie, but they didn't just watch the shitty Angelina Jolie yeah. one the day before they watched it. Who I look, I've read no reviews. I know it's got fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Who's giving it bad press and why? Is it because it's a video game movie? Because honestly, as someone who essentially doesn't know that. Mm. I think it's good. I think it's a good action movie, and yeah. I, I'm a sucker for this kind of thing, and I love it. The only review that I can remember is from Matt Singer, who is a great film critic. Uh, he has the Film Spotting SVU podcast mm-hmm. as well. Um, he uh, his review I remember states: uh, "Tomb Raider starring Alicia Vikander picks up exactly where the last film left off by being a boring, absolutely forgettable action movie, uh, which I can kind That's of mean. see. I can That's see." Mean. But it's snarky, it's funny, it makes sense, but I think this snarky, is... Snarky, funny, cool. <laughs> snarky, funny, cool, which is the film critic code. Uh, but I think this is sexy, funny, cool. I think this is genuinely just a nice, humble action film. And I think it's so rare to see humility in I mean, that genre. I mean, this is the 18th time you've said I just humility and humble. I just That's what this film is to me. In a movie that has Walton Goggins uh, <laughs> shooting... An old Asian man in the head. Like, it's not <laughs> yeah. that humble a movie. It's- but it's got an ad for Volvo. Yeah, I think I'm I'm either being way too generous or you're not being generous enough. Mm. Or like, perhaps there's a grey area in the middle. Maybe it's like yin and yang. Like, mm. like in, uh, No, it's. Uh, I think it's... Uh, I really enjoyed it. Mm. And as a reboot, I think it was the first one we've watched in this entire run of uh, recordings that I've truly thought surpassed the original and mm. and 
extended on in ways that I would never have thought of. Improved on it in improved, ways. Improved, extended, surpassed. I really loved it. I but, think I honestly, uh, I don't know if I'm insane. <laughs> I loved think it. I loved this movie. Oh my god. What the f- uh, it's not that out of the realm of possibility that I would love this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I also loved Triple X3 Return of Xana Yeah. So I, I think this film is Maybe not quite as much fun as Triple X Three: Return of Xander Cage, but that's the kind of area that it fits in. And I remember praising that film by saying you can get so much out of making an action film that subverts your mm. expectations uh, by kind of making something silly—an action film that is a silly parody satire on action films. Something like NTSF SD SUV, which Paul Shear mm-hmm. uh, had an amazing short uh, adult swim series that directly made fun of movies like this mm. but I think it is much or just as difficult and as impressive to just make a good entry into something like that yeah I think I actually wouldn't ever compare this to Triple X3 Triple X3 is so bad it's good mm. this is so okay it's good yeah it's it's, it's okay, just, but it's I really I really was charmed by it. Yeah, and I was never bored for a second. I thought no. it was paced well and it was shot well. I mean, I, I that's all you can ask for in this type of movie. So this and it is a, more than met my expectations. This is a total reboot. It's a successful reboot. Yeah, Cameron, do you look forward to seeing the continuing adventures of Tomb Raider? No. But you don't want to see her shoot those two guns together at the same <laughs> no. time? For all the praise I just heaped on it, I don't want to see a sequel. I don't care. I kind of can't imagine where they could go with it. Because we're talking about Lara Croft, colon, Tomb Raider, Dash, Cradle of Life. That sequel is just a totally separate adventure, like a James Bond film. That's all this will be. It'll just be fucking National Treasure. We'll just be watching National Treasure movies. It can't go the way that uh, Temple of Doom did after Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it's a prequel, because this is an origin film. Uh, it's hints at a greater intrigue conspiracy where the company that uh, was trying to get the biochemical weapon made out of Himiko uh, is actually owned by her father's Croft Enterprises. And I don't care about any of that. That Derek Jacobi, one of the great actors in history that I am actually not a fan of, uh, gave it over to Kirsten Scott Thomas. Who who is is one of my favourite actors. One of the best, Mm. who is perhaps the evil puppeteer behind Walton Goggins himself yeah, that that's, is hinted okay. at in a very bizarre kind of crappy TV movie-esque yeah, way. Yeah, you've just reminded me of the feeling I had when I left the cinema, which was that the last six minutes of this movie were awful. Mm. And it was just all setting up future sequels, world building. Um, it seemed like it was the end of a video game sequence. And then, of course, we get to see Lara Croft as Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I did hate the ending of this movie, now I think about it. Wait, Lara Croft as Angelina Jolie? Oh, well, yeah, she's, dressed in the same outfit. She's got that same plat and jacket and mm. shit. Yeah, I think the ending sucked really bad, and I wish it didn't go the way it did. It's I, too cynical. I don't... I mean, we've got a whole podcast about reboots and remakes, but I don't care about world building in this universe way. building rather universe than world building, building in this yeah. way yeah and i think uh what the the way they could kind of get around it rather than it kind of being the boring 
Illuminati type thing mm. that we see in the original Tomb Raider films. If maybe the personal connection is that she doesn't want her father's legacy to be tarnished in this way. Oh, yeah. As kind of the emotional driving force for her trying to take down this weird big conspiracy company rather than it just to be to save the world. If it is to save her yeah. father's legacy and her father's reputation, um, I'd buy maybe that. that could be a way in, but. Well, I hope one of the five screenwriters on this movie <laughs> <laughs> carries over to the next one and remembers that this is a personal journey, not just a cool physical journey. I can't believe it. We liked Tomb Raider. I almost said I loved it. Yeah. I said I loved it and then I kind of took it back. I think I'm just going to commit. I loved it. Oh, well, that's awesome. I actually might see this movie again myself. I think I'm going to go see it again. Today? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's go. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for joining us uh, at the end of our first pairing of films. We'll be back with you next week with our second pairing. And we are going to be talking about the Joe Johnston classic film from the 90s, Jumanji. Jumanji. Which we'll be comparing to the week after that, the Jake Kasdan film, Jumanji. Welcome to the jungle, baby. <laughs> Jumanji, welcome to the freaking jungle. Take a load off. And we're excited to, for you guys to hear these episodes. This, The next ones will be the first episodes that we ever recorded mm-hmm. for this podcast. It's our pilot episode. So we get to talk about a lot of the ideas of what spurred us to even start this podcast. And Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle is definitely the film that made us get into this idea. That is the one that made us go, what is going on? How is it possible that this is even happening? Mm. Um, so... Please keep us in your ears next week and the week after to listen to those two. Before we get on to the very end of the podcast, we've got one final segment. This is our segment that we are bringing on over from the blank slate. We recommend movies that might not necessarily be reboots, remakes, or ripoffs. What have you watched? What have you seen? What have you watched? What, 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 what? Blah, 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 blank slate. Cameron, what have you just seen recently? I recently watched a film for the first time. You've seen it before. Mm -hmm. Millions of people have seen it before. It was a little British sleeper film that became an international blockbuster called Four Weddings and a Funeral, written by Richard Curtis, starring my favourite character actor of all time, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. (laughs) What is it that you love about Hugh Grant? Oh, it's that floppy hair. And it's the floppiest it's ever been in the movie Four Weddings and a Funeral. And it's got... I love that movie, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Did it hold up? It holds up pretty well. I'd never seen it. Mm. I think it it plays pretty well. The relationships are great. The reason I chose it for this is because it shares a cast member with Tomb Raider in uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. Oh, yes, of course. Who is really great in this movie. There's something about her that is just very old Hollywood that I love. Mm. She's got a face that I feel like, she has probably never looked young her entire mm. life. She's quite young in Four Weddings, but she... And now when you see her in Tomb Raider and um, that Darkest Hour movie, I feel like she hasn't aged at all. Mm. She looks sensational, but she also has such an angular, theatrical face that she could be from any era. Mm. It's really, it's a really fun movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, if you feel like watching it, you can do 
you can watch it the way I did. It's the same way. Oh, no, I've probably yeah. done that joke. Yeah. If you feel like watching it, um, I'm sure you can find it in your mum's cupboard or something. She's probably got it. It's probably in a four pack with Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah, and probably Notting Hill. And maybe About Time. Uh, either About Time or The Full Monty. Yeah. And uh, your mum has definitely got it. She's got a copy there. And Mr. Frickin' Bean's in it. Yeah. I love that, Beanos. What have you watched? Uh, I just watched a film that it might still be in cinemas now, and if you can, I highly recommend taking that chance to go see it on the big screen. I watched Game Night. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, re- I was intrigued by that. I would say that I think Game Night might be the best, and the I think that Game Night might be the best mainstream studio comedy I've seen in quite some time. Really? Yeah, it really kind of shocked me how fun and good it was. I think it's got a great script. The premise is simple. It's got a great cast. So the idea is uh, Jason Bateman, playing a very Jason Bateman-esque character, Mm -hmm. meets his beloved wife, Rachel McAdams, at a trivia night, and their relationship and their friendships with all their other people in their life is kind of defined by having game nights with Mm -hmm each other and then Jason Bateman's brother played by the great Carl Chandler mm-hmm. comes back into their lives and he's a very rich and wealthy man who wants to take game night up to the next level uh, by doing a kind of like the game scenario ah uh, yeah right, the right, Michael right, right. Douglas film the yeah. game David Fincher, Fincher. and uh, but something goes wrong and they act they're actually a real kidnapping does take place at the time of the of the game <laughs> version of it so it's kind of a fun mystery comedy movie that also has a tremendous one of my favorite comedy performances in quite some time by Jesse Plemons he wow, plays really? a neighbor cop who is quite weird creepy and sinister that wants to be invited to the game nights uh but He's just a creeper that they don't want involved. And he is hysterical in this film. It kind of <laughs> reminds me of when you'd see a great character actor like Philip Seymour Hoffman just yeah. got, take a real big fat chance on something like <laughs> Along Came Polly. Along came Polly yeah. And then just do one of the best comedy performances in just an average movie. But I think this movie is a little bit better than something like that. And it's definitely <laughs> worth watching. I saw it with a friend of ours, one of the great comedians of Sydney, Michael Hing, and we both loved it so much. Oh, that's so cool. I was so worried about it because those are... Is John Francis Daly John one Francis of John Francis Daly and the, his writing and yeah. directing partner who did the Vacation and Reboot. And that's why I was a little hesitant because of the Vacation Reboot, mm. which we are no doubt going to have to talk about. And the other films that they've kind of written, I think they wrote, they wrote Horrible Bosses. They also wrote Spider-Man Homecoming, a movie that you adored. Did they? Oh, they yeah. would have been one of many screenwriters. Perhaps. Perhaps not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're right. I guess they are. I think they're good screenwriters, but I think they are indicative of this style of studio comedy that mm-hmm. is just a bit old for me now. The whole like big, bombastic, dark studio comedy, something mm. in the vein of Fist Fight or The House or whatever. Where it's I just- think you would really enjoy this one, Cam. I think it's wor- it's up your alley and it's well worth watching. Uh, it's got some great performances and most surprisingly, it's, it exhibits some visual flourishes that I didn't anticipate, mm. especially for kind of a studio comedy which are kind of known for not being flashy or stylish mm. in any way. Uh, I'd say it's probably this side of Ant-Man. It's probably the best kind of looking, more comedic studio comedy take. Wow. Something Peyton Reed would do. Peyton Reed. Like there's a few kind of like 
Edgar Wrightian flourishes that don't kind of get in the way too much. For example, uh, when we're seeing people traveling around, it's kind of shot in that tilt shot format mm. where it makes things that are life-size look like little miniatures, yeah. almost like a Monopoly board in a yeah. way without it being too crazy. I think that it's just got nice little touches like That's that. That's another little Fincher thing. He did a lot of that in social networks. Oh, yeah, so of course. Maybe they're stuff. nodding to Fincher mm. again there. Perhaps, yeah. But it's worth watching. If you can get to see in the cinema, hop out and do so, guys. I think you'd really enjoy it. Thanks for joining us for our second ever episode of Total Reboot. We'll be back with you guys next week talking about Jumanji. And the week after that, Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. Talk to us online, you know. We're pretty open to chatting to people. We're actually little uh, motor mouths. We're little motor mouths. You can chat to me online at This Is Alexi on Twitter and Instagram. You can talk to Cameron. You can talk to me at I Am Cameron James on uh, Twitter and Instagram too. And you can talk to us on Twitter at Total Reboot Pod. Talk to us about movies, recommend reboots that we should discuss. And you know what, guys? We would absolutely love it. If you jump on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is and give us a five-star review. We are new. We need your help. We would really appreciate it. And while you're there in the review, why don't you leave uh, the name of a movie that you would like to see rebooted. And Lex and I might uh, might just hypothesize that reboot for on you. what that could be on like if we were to do that. Our gosh damn selves. And if there's... Something you want to talk to us in a bit more of an extended way, you can email us at totalreboot at betapods.net. And Betapods is a new podcast network that we're helping launch with our friend Kyron Wheatley. He'll be hosting a new podcast called Beta of the Day where they talk about a Hollywood hunk or honey and celebrate babes. It's a really funny podcast you can check out every day. They're little mini bite-sized episodes, especially if you're walking around the house. You can listen to one of those, which is what I've been doing with it so far. I really hope that someday you and I are babes of the day. Oh, God, if we get celebrated. Oh, I'd love to get celebrated. So check that out. We'll have a few more podcasts joining the network very soon. We're just a small little enterprise. Support us, babies. Ciao, muchachos. And os vido sane, gambinos. Wait, I